When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This week on WealthTrack, Morningstar's personal finance guru, Christine Benz, guides us through a financial wellness checkup. How fit is your portfolio is next on Consuelo Mack WealthTrack. New York Life, along with Mainstay's family of mutual funds, offers investment and retirement solutions so you can help your clients keep good going. Additional funding provided by Clearbridge Investments, a leg mason company, Thornburg Investment Management, active management, flexible perspective. Ku and Patricia Ewan through the Ewan Foundation, committed to bridging cultural differences, and the Fairholm Foundation. Hello and welcome to this edition of WealthTrack. I'm Consuelo Mack. 2018 has been a year of change with major implications for our portfolios and financial plans. The Federal Reserve has reversed its dramatic easing course in place since the financial crisis hit nearly a decade ago, and the change from declining interest rates to rising ones has done what it normally does, puts pressure on financial markets. In volatile trading, the stock market has struggled to keep its head above water in recent months. And with interest rates rising, the bond markets are also hurting. They are not providing their traditional protective role. Added to this mix is the biggest tax overhaul in a generation passed by Congress a year ago, with most provisions now in effect. According to the Wall Street Journal's tax columnist, Laura Saunders, about 65 percent of filers are seeing an income tax cut, while about 6 percent are seeing an increase. If there was ever an appropriate time to take stock of financial plans, this is it. And we couldn't find a guest better qualified than Christine Benz, personal finance guru at Morningstar, where she has been the firm's director of personal finance since 2008. Over her 25 years at the firm, she has held numerous key positions from head of the entire mutual fund analyst team, editor of key publications such as Morningstar Fund Investor and Morningstar Mutual Funds, as well as writing several of the firm's best-selling investment books. Throughout it all, Benz has been dedicated to the firm's mission, which has become her own, to help investors reach their financial goals. She has helped millions of individuals do just that. I began the interview by asking Benz to describe an annual ritual she recommends before doing a specific portfolio review. She calls it a wellness check. Well, before you get into spending time looking at various portfolio holdings or checking up on performance, just take a step way back and ask the question, how am I doing with this plan? So if you're someone who is getting close to retirement or you're still accumulating assets for retirement, maybe you're really early in your savings career, your two main benchmarks of how you're doing is, what is my savings rate on an annual basis? Mm -hmm. And some people think, well, 10% is enough. For most people, 
you probably want to target more like 15% or even 20% if you're a high income earner. Really? Okay. Yeah. So To so, maintain your standard of living when you eventually reach retirement. Right. So okay. the higher income you are, the less likely Social Security is to supply most of your living expenses. And then there's just the simple fact that if you are a higher income person, you have the wherewithal to save more of your paycheck. So you right. should target a higher savings rate uh, of 20% or even higher. So you're looking at that, how much of your pay you're saving, and then also look at what you've accumulated to date. And so take those numbers and plug them into some kind of a retirement calculator. One I often recommend is T. Rowe Price's Retirement Income Calculator because it's a good holistic kind of tool. Mm-hmm. Um, and do a checkup on whether you need to make some changes to any of those variables. So specifically, if you're falling short in terms of what you hope to accumulate for retirement, can you find a way to nudge up your savings rate? So that's if you are someone who is accumulating assets mm-hmm. for retirement. If you're in drawdown mode, if you're already tapping your portfolio for living expenses, your key number is your spending rate from that portfolio. And there you want to think about what is a sustainable withdrawal rate from my portfolio. There's been a lot of research in this area over the past decade. Um, the 4% guideline right. is out there. That means that you take 4% of your balance when you retire, and then you give yourself a little nudge up in terms of that dollar amount to account for inflation. So that 4% rule, 4% guideline, I think is a good starting point for people. Uh, but starting it, point. Starting point. But it's important to understand what underpins the 4% guideline. So it assumes that you've got a, a balanced portfolio of mm-hmm. some kind. So you have safe assets, but you also have ample stock exposure. And then it also assumes that you have a 25 or 30 year time horizon. If you're someone who thinks you might have a 40 year time horizon because you're 50, you need to take a lower initial withdrawal rate than 4%. But take a look at that, revisit it on an ongoing basis. One of the best things any of us can do for the viability of our retirement plans and ensuring that our portfolios last is if we encounter a weak market environment, if we can pull that withdrawal rate down a little bit to tide us through to let our portfolios heal, that will really help our portfolios last over what we hope will be a really long life in retirement. Assess your asset allocation, whether or not it's on target. Yeah, this is the next big item in terms of um, whether your portfolio succeeds or fails, is your basic allocation among very safe assets like cash, like high quality bonds, and then riskier assets. Mm -hmm. That's going to be the main determinant of how your portfolio behaves and what it returns. So so what kind of asset allocation do you think we should really be paying particular attention to? I mean, after a nine-year bull market, our equity allocation is probably still pretty high, right? Well, that's the thing. And and I think we all have this natural tendency when stocks have been going up, you just sort of look at your balance periodically, say, good for me, yeah, and exactly. don't do anything. Right. And so there's a natural inclination to leave well enough alone when things are going up. The problem is, um, as you get closer to retirement, you're contents of your portfolio shift around. So if you had a 50-50 portfolio at the outset of this equity market rally, Mm -hmm. well, you are well over 70% in stocks if you've done nothing to tame that stock exposure. So I think it's really valuable. It's It's a 
crucial juncture to take a look at this, potentially reduce risk in your portfolio. And if you're retired, the beautiful thing about rebalancing, scaling back appreciated equity securities is that you can set aside some money for the next couple of years to serve as your living expenses. Mm -hmm. So I think rebalancing can be really effective from that standpoint as well. And it's interesting to think about rebalancing um, as reducing risk as, as you know, as opposed to rebalancing, so that you you, know, you have more exposure to assets that could go up faster, that could grow more. So it's it really is about reducing risk. That's that should kind of be the goal at the end of the exercise. Yeah, I think yeah. people should remember that over long periods of time, stocks tend to go up at a higher rate than safer assets, and so um, the natural effect of stripping back the appreciated portion of your portfolio, which is usually stocks, is that it might even, it'll level off your return mm-hmm. potential, might even reduce your return mm-hmm. potential a little bit. But what you derive from rebalancing is a huge risk reduction benefit. So right. I think people should look to rebalancing mainly for that reason, not to be any sort of return engine for them. So one of the, uh, the other things that you've mentioned is adequacy of, li- of liquid reserves. So talk to us about that. Yeah. So everyone's heard about the importance of having an emergency fund, right. three to six months worth of very liquid assets. The good news is that cash is finally yielding something. You can easily earn a return of at least 2% today, which is an improvement. <laughs> I mean, um, we should, I know. We're celebrating that. <laughs> right. It's hard to believe. But. Right. So that's a plus. Um, if you are still working, you want to make sure you have that emergency fund. People who are in the gig economy, so some contract workers, for Mm -hmm. example, who might have disruptions in their income stream, should reach for an even higher cash cushion. The same goes if you are a higher income person, um, because chances are if you have that high income, you'll be a little bit choosier about, if you lose your job, about replacing it. Um, So it may take you a little bit longer. So I would run with a larger cash cushion in that situation as well. So three to six months at a minimum for accumulators. For people who are already retired, I like the idea of a larger Mm -hmm. cash cushion of maybe one to two years worth of portfolio withdrawal. So you don't need to set aside all of your income needs because some of those are probably coming from Social Security, a pension, if Mm -hmm. you're lucky enough Mm -hmm. to have it. But think about one to two years worth of your anticipated portfolio withdrawals. Oh, that's interesting. In cash. Right. So n- another thing you say is to assess the sub allocations and troubleshoot other portfolio risk factors. So. What, what, what are you talking about? You're saying the, the, your sub-allocations. Well, so once you move from that uh, overall stock bond cash right. mix, you want to drill in a little bit. I like our style box view, uh, which shows you how much you have in small, mid-size, and large-size stocks, mm-hmm. as well as in... International, domestic. Yes, I that too, yeah. as well as in um, value-style mm-hmm. stocks mm-hmm. and growth-style stocks, or the ones that kind of fall between. So check up on that. Check up on your portfolio sector Mm -hmm. exposures. Here again, if you haven't been doing much to rebalance your portfolio or or to address 
shifts as they've occurred. Mm -hmm. You may end up with a lot in growth-oriented stocks, yes. even though they've encountered some volatility here in 2018. They've way outperformed the value stocks right, for recently. 10 years. Right, right. So you may be inadvertently betting on the growth side of the mm -hmm. style box. You might have more in technology stocks than yes. you. Right. Um, and those two have encountered some significant volatility. Whether that will be will persist, I'm not sure, but you may be making some large inadvertent bets there. And internationally, you mentioned Consuelo. That's mm -hmm. another area where if investors want to maintain a globally diversified portfolio, and I think that that is a good strategy, if you've done nothing there, your portfolio is listing toward U.S. stocks because they've generally outperformed right. foreign. So that's another other area. It you know, we've been through a period of time where uh, where interest rates have been coming down for 35 right. years, and so suddenly they're starting to, to tick up thanks to the Fed and, and a growing economy and a lot of other things. But so, you know, how, how, did, how, do you, how are you advising people address their fixed income, the portions of their portfolios? Yeah, it's a tricky area for yeah. sure. And there's a lot of concern about uh, what to expect from mm -hmm. the bond market, people have had losses yes. on their bond portfolios recently. recently. Mm -hmm. um, so I guess the, the point I would make is don't think of your fixed income as a return engine for your portfolio, mm -hmm. even though it has been over the past 35 years, thanks to this nice tailwind mm -hmm. of declining rates. Instead, think of it as a shock absorber for the more volatile part of your portfolio. So when we look at asset classes that tend to hold their ground or can maybe even gain a little bit in value in periods when equities fall. Well, high-quality bonds have done that pretty nicely over the past couple of decades. So I think that investors, especially, again, those who are starting to think about retirement, should have a healthy allocation to high-quality fixed-income investments, even though in the interim they may incur some short-term losses. So tax strategies, that's another important thing to do every year. It is. Um, so some of the things you talk about are, number one, look at your tax-sheltered contributions. Also pay attention to the age 50, which is the age when you can add additional catch-up contributions right. to both your IRAs and your company retirement plans. So pay attention to that. You can start contributing right on January 1st mm -hmm. of the year that you'll turn 50. So revisit those. See if you're on track. If, um, if it's late in the year, you may be able, if you can potentially do this, you can um, super fund your 401k mm -hmm. toward the end of the year, maybe make additional contributions right. to try to hit that maximum if you right. possibly can. Right, so to can. take advantage of that, that's right. for sure. Um, if you're a retiree, you've got the RMDs, the required minimum distributions, that 70 and a half, that's exactly. something that you want to make sure that you take. Right, huge penalty if you don't yeah. take it, uh, equivalent to 50% to of the amount that you should have taken and didn't. So you want to make sure to stay on top of those RMDs. We talked about rebalancing Consuelo, right. and there, I think, Retirees have such a great opportunity if they're subject to these required minimum distributions. Always look to your most appreciated securities to pull from um, for those distributions. I, when I was helping my mom and dad with their RMDs, I would always just pull from whatever had done the best in their portfolios right. over the previous year to try to take some risk out of the mm -hmm. portfolio, tee up cash for the next couple of years. I think it can be an effective strategy. 
Um, the other thing, so as far as the tax law is concerned, uh, as far as your charitable deductions now, so that a lot of it is standardized for... So how do you treat the charitable deductions? As you said, Consuelo, a lot more people will be using the standard deduction right. because it'll be higher than their itemized deductions could ever be. So the a couple of strategies for people who are um, charitably inclined. One is if they are subject to these required minimum distributions, mm -hmm. they can use a maneuver called a qualified charitable distribution. And so the idea is that you call up your investment provider and say, I would like to send X amount of my required minimum distribution directly to X charity. Okay. And the beauty of that is that the qualified charitable distribution does not affect your adjusted gross income. So it's as, as if this RMD never hits your mm -hmm. income. Mm -hmm. And so it's a way to earn some tax credits from uh, making charitable contributions, even if you're not an itemizer. So it's a really valuable oh. strategy if you're subject to RMDs. If you're not subject to RMDs, you can't do it. Right. If you um, still want to make charitable contributions and have them count, one idea is to try to bundle them together in a year when you might have critical mass with those itemized de deductions, where you think you can get higher than the standard deduction mm -hmm. by having enough itemized deductions. So maybe you have a year where you know you'll have he some heavy health care outlays because you have some sort of a planned procedure, plus you also want to make some charitable contributions. Save them oh. up, bundle them together, right. and try to get critical mass with those itemized deductions. Here's where uh, an accountant or a tax savvy financial advisor can help can you help kind you. of strategize. Right. Well, that makes a lot of sense. Um, one of the things, uh, tax loss sales and gains. So we've got, uh, for the first time in a long time, <laughs> we actually lining. might have tax losses. Right. Yeah. So investors should take a look at this, especially kind of in the fourth quarter period. Scout around to see whether you have any depreciated holdings um, relative to your cost basis. Right. So if the current price is lower than your cost basis, you chances are will have some tax losses. And the good thing about tax losses, even though it can be humbling to mm -hmm. take them, um, is that you can use them to offset capital gains. And if your uh, losses exceed your capital gains, they can offset up to $3,000 of ordinary income. So it's well worth scouting around right. your portfolio. Now, one of the things that you also mentioned was that as far as if your mutual fund holdings, yes. that there have been a lot of redemptions from actively managed mutual funds to passive funds, and that's been causing some capital gains distributions that you have no control over because you're not selling the mutual fund. But you're going to have to pay. So how? I mean, how big a deal is that? Well, I just did a review of the 2018 distributions from some of the big shops, right? And as you said, these redemptions um, have forced selling, and, yes. and a lot of these funds have gains on their books. So some funds are making double-digit, as a percentage of wow. NAV, double-digit distributions. Um, so if you own these funds in a taxable account, you do have to pay mm. capital gains taxes. So. In that case, some people might say, well, how about if I just sell preemptively? If my fund's mm -hmm. going to make its distribution in mid-December, how about if I just get out of this fund, dodge the distribution? Well, remember that as a fund shareholder, you might have your own gain. So right. if, the, if right. the fund is appreciated over your holding period, 
by selling, you're triggering the gain there, even if you're dodging the distribution. So no easy answers, but I think this is one of the reasons that has uh, we've seen this great interest in index funds right. and ETFs, because exchange-traded funds in particular on the equity side nicely solve for this taxable capital gains distribution issue. They tend not to make many of them because they have buy-and-hold portfolios. They're just index funds tracking the market, so they right. tend to be pretty tax efficient. Yeah, they are very tax efficient. Um, Develop next year's cash flow strategy. So, and so we can do the, so every year, just again, you're projecting ahead, give yourself at least planning for at least the year ahead. At least a year or two, possibly. Right now, given that the equity market has gone up for so long, I think it's reasonable to think about maybe a two-year time horizon because you can surely find appreciated holdings Mm -hmm. to strip back on. So this is if you're retired, if you're trying to figure out where do we go for income, or I prefer the term cash flow, Mm -hmm. on a year-to-year basis. Well, there are a few ways to do it. So year-end, I think, is a great way to strategize about how you will build that cash buffer to tide you through the next couple of years. Um, rebalancing right. is one way to do it. Or potentially, you, if you're an income-centric retiree, maybe you like dividend-paying stocks and some of the other higher-yielding asset classes, you may be able to build a portfolio that mm-hmm. delivers your cash flow needs through organically generated income. So there's no one single way to do it. Um, the rebalancing, though, one reason I like it is that it is a way to keep your portfolio's asset allocation in line on an ongoing basis while simultaneously meeting your cash flow needs. So with interest rates going up a little bit, do we have more cash flow options or are we not there yet? Well, cash uh, yields are getting above 2% 2%. on FDIC-insured instruments. So Uh this is a big change. Uh, I think that investors need to be aware of complacency with their cash holdings. Jason Swig in the Wall Street Journal has been beating this drum about the brokerage sweep accounts, Mm -hmm. pay infinitesimal interest rates. Don't settle for those. Just keep the bare minimum in in those brokerage account accounts, sweep accounts that you need to do your trading or whatever you're doing, get the money into something that's working for you, Um, whether it's some sort of a laddered CD portfolio, online savings accounts have some very competitive higher. They tend to because they don't have bricks and mortar banks. Um, so those can be nice sources of yield. Money market mutual funds finally have competitive looking yields. Um, it's important to know that the money market mutual funds are not FDIC insured. Historically, they've been quite safe, although we did have right, the that. case of, uh, of one fund during the financial crisis running into some troubles. Um, but money market mutual funds in many cases have yields that are at or um, at least close to 2% today. One investment for a long-term diversified portfolio? One I would call out today, in part because we're starting to see inflation tick up right. a bit, would be some sort of an inflation-protected bond fund. And this makes sense not so much for young accumulators. If you're still saving and earning a paycheck, don't worry about mm-hmm. this asset class. But if you are getting close to retirement or already retired, remember that the portion of your portfolio that you're with drawing for your living expenses is not automatically inflation adjusted. You're not getting those COLA increases in your portfolio automatically. So having some inflation protected bond exposure 
gives you the ability to participate in that if you have an inflation protected bond fund, they nudge up your principal value mm -hmm. a little bit when inflation goes up. Um, so, so would these be Treasury inflation protected securities? Yes. These are tips, basically. Treasury but, inflation protected right. securities. And here I would keep things very low cost, very plain vanilla. Mm -hmm. Our fixed income researchers have looked at this space and determined that this is an area where active management hasn't historically added a lot of value. So just keep your costs way, way down. Go with some sort of a, an index product. So iShares has a good one. Mm -hmm. Vanguard has a couple of good ones, including a, a good uh, short-term term version, and Schwab has a really nice one as well. So Great. check that. So we've got some options. Christine Benz, thank you so much for helping us with our you know, annual checkup, financial checkup. It really is extremely helpful. Thanks. Thank you, Consuelo. It's been my pleasure. At the close of every Wealth Track, we try to give you one suggestion to help you build and protect your wealth over the long term. This week's action point is take full advantage of tax-deferred savings plans. The good news is allowed contributions to both 401ks and individual retirement accounts are rising in 2019. The new levels are $19,000 for 401ks and similar workplace retirement plans, up from $18,500. For workers 50 or older, the extra $6,000 catch-up contribution is the same. For the first time in five years, the allowable contributions for IRAs are also increasing to $6,000 from $5,500 in 2018 and to $7,000 for people 50 or older. That's a raise of $1,000. Contributions to health savings accounts for people with high deductible health insurance plans are also rising a tad by $50 to $3,500 in 2019. But for those 55 and older, the additional catch-up contribution remains the same at $1,000. HSAs, as they are called, have a triple tax benefit. Money goes in tax-free, grows tax-free, and is withdrawn tax-free for legitimate health and medical expenses. Tax-deferred investing is a rare gift from the government, so take full advantage of it. Next week, join us for our annual exclusive New Year's Outlook with superstar economist Ed Hyman and global investor Matthew McLennan. And in this week's extra feature, Christine Benz explains why she is focusing more on long-term care. You can find it exclusively on WealthTrack.com. What's on your mind? Keep connecting with us and other members of the WealthTrack community on Facebook and Twitter. Thank you for watching. Have a lovely weekend, a happy Hanukkah, and make the week ahead a profitable and a productive one.